Well, I trust by now in these lessons you're encouraged by them that, that this stuff's not going to befall us. We've proven that, I think, every lesson over and over and over again. This is the time of the Gentiles being completed. This is Daniel's 70th week. This is God pouring out his wrath on those that have mocked him all along. And this is a time when the Lord finishes dealing with the Jews. And so when you look at the revelation, you should be encouraged and rejoice that you're not going to be here. But if you know you're not going to be here, if you can see the end of your race, you ought to push yourself even harder. And you ought to say, well, praise the Lord. I don't have to focus my energy anywhere else. I can focus it on my race and finishing my course. When you're not really sure what your race is, you kind of meander about, mealy mouth about. You lack confidence. But one of the wonderful things about having a job description is you know exactly what you need to do. And therefore, you can put all of your resources and energy into it. When you realize you don't have to worry about the wrath of God or the revelation of the Antichrist ruling over you and you living in a fallout shelter with bottled water and 6,000 rounds of 9 millimeter, then praise God you come out of the dark, you let your eyes adjust to the light and you live a normal life and preach the gospel and enjoy all things richly that he has given us. So this lesson is lesson nine, the seven trumpets. This is the beginning of some serious wrath. And I've done my best to write these lessons topically but also in sequential order as far as what's unfolding in the the revelation one of our last lessons will be a timeline of the revelation because i'm visual i'm mathematical i like to see things laid out linearly Uh, the timeline may be the most audacious thing to undertake because nobody fully agrees 100 percent on the timeline there's major markers that we can all agree on and then everything else in there is just like and then the antichrist dies to the end So we'll try to lay it out as best we can. One thing's for sure, everything's going to happen, but plus or minus seven years, it happens somewhere in those seven years, and I don't think anybody will be upset if we're wrong when we get to heaven. Nobody's going to find me me or one of the great teachers in heaven and say, hey, I just want to remind you, you were wrong. You were off by six months. I don't think that's going to happen. Said no one ever in heaven concerning eschatological teaching. You were off by six months. We're just glad we made it. (laughs) Let's get into lesson nine, the seven trumpets. These are called the seven trumpet judgments. And uh, trumpets are used throughout the Bible to communicate and make pronouncements. So it should be no surprise that the Lord is using this in the end times, in the judgment. Trumpets are used throughout the whole Bible to, to communicate and make judgments and pronouncements. Trumpets signal an order given. And so we kind of see that in the heralding days of the lights of the round table. But in biblical times, if you didn't know, they didn't have cell phones. And they didn't necessarily have carrier pigeons. So they trumpeted. And you could carry notes longer along a wall or along from camp to camp. And so that's what they did. They, they signaled an order given. They communicated. They gave a warning. They, they made a proclamation. Pre- the previous seven seals, which we've already looked at, they, they removed a spiritual restraint allowing things to happen. So the seal was open and it allowed the Antichrist to arise. The seal opened and it allowed peace to be taken from the earth. And the seal was open and it allowed death and hell to proceed. These are different though. The seals removed, release something. These order things to happen. So the trumpet always gives a command. These are a different nature of wrath because they're commanding things to happen. These trumpets blown by God's messengers, the angels, command things to be happen, to, or to, to, to come to pass. And it's a good place to point out all, the, all the, the extreme teaching on the love of God fails to take into consideration that the God of love is ordering 
the execution, the wrath, the judgment to be poured out upon sinful mankind. And that's why we have to keep a balanced approach to all of our doctrine. As Romans says, behold the goodness and the severity of God, the judgment and the mercy. It's odd that right now, that shouldn't be odd, it's prophesied that it would happen, that in these last days, all the popular messages are love, 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 mercy, 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 mercy. That's great when you're in condemnation and trying to serve God. But what the Lord's saying right now is, just like John the Baptist, who has warned you of the wrath to come? John the Baptist was never a huggy kind of preacher. He looked at the Pharisees and said, why have you come out here? Who's warned you of the wrath to come? You bunch of hypocrites. Then he looked at the others and said, you you say you repent? Prove it. That was his message in the water. Prove you're sorry. Bring forth fruit that proves you have repented. Uh, we, We forget that God is a judge. He is a loving God. He's a merciful God. We'll teach that next service because we're teaching on the love of God. But this is the wrath of God. He is the one commanding these trumpeters to release this stuff. Revelation 8, verses 2 and 6. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. So, you know, I play the trumpet, so I can imagine them licking their lips. Uh, They don't have valve trumpets, you know, just a straight trumpet, but... You know, they're getting ready. Maybe they're doing some diaphragm exercises. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know if angels need to do all that, but they prepared themselves to sound. So they were getting ready. Uh, These judgments are the beginning of what causes men's hearts to fail. They're in Luke 21. This is the beginning of, of what Jesus said. Men's hearts fail them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. It appears that they can hear that something changes in the atmosphere and they realize, uh uh-oh. It's about to get a lot worse. Everybody in the eschatological studies agrees that these seven, seal, these seven trumpets begin to happen at the mid-tribulation point. Whether they take place over five months or six months or the remainder part of the three and a half years, there's some debate there. But something shifts at the midway point and the, the severe wrath begins to be poured out. Up until then, we've had three and a half years of peace with Jerusalem and Israel with the Antichrist. Wars have gone on in other places. At this point, things really ratcheted up. And God really begins to pour out his indignation and his fury and his righteousness upon man. And man knows it's God. And yet they still don't repent. Amen. That's kind of a scary thought. The blowing of these trumpets is preceded by an angel offering incense. So the angels are getting ready to blow the trumpets. But right before they do, another angel goes and offers incense, which is the prayer of all saints. Think about that. The prayer of all saints upon the altar in heaven, which is before God's throne. And we know from the Bible there's an altar in heaven and there's a throne in heaven and there's a temple in heaven and there's a tabernacle in heaven. There's the the Holy of Holies is in heaven. There's an Ark of the Covenant in heaven. Go figure. I I don't have answers for all this. We just know that it is. And furthermore, I don't even know what it's used for in eternity because we've already been redeemed. And all of it was a type and shadow of what Christ did on the earth. But this angel, right before they blow the trumpets, he goes and offers incense on the altar before the throne of God and with it the prayer of all saints. So from Adam all the way up to the last raptured saint. That means God's still collecting our prayers. Hopefully you and I pray enough that he has a handful of our prayers in heaven and not, now where did I do with that prayer? Where did I do? I hope I've got enough prayers in heaven. He's got a handful of them. He can just, a whole bag of them. I kind of imagine it dust-sized particles, that's every prayer. Uh, some folks don't pray much. 
And I don't know how we make it in these days without having a regular, consistent prayer life, talking to the Lord every day. One of the things that would help us as Americans is most of our prayers ought to be thanksgiving. Having just come from third world Africa, just to be so thankful and to see how spoiled we are in the States and how much more happier they are in Africa. They have a joy that there's not, I don't know many Americans that have as much joy as the African church. I, it, that's one of the things that every time I come back from Africa, I hang my head. Lord, let me be more thankful. I have so much more stuff. Let me be more thankful. So let, let, maybe that's a word to us this morning. Let us be thankful. Uh, you can complain all you want, but you have no idea how blessed you are. That's why even the heathen make fun of us with our first world problems. I can't get Wi-Fi. They ran out of pumpkin spice, six Starbucks. The line at Walmart was so long. Uh, Lord Jesus. Yeah, yeah, just, just sad, sad, sad. <laughs> you go to Africa, I, I, was, uh, I was rejoicing. Lord, I'm so thankful I didn't have to use the pit toilet all day when we were in the bush village every day. I'm thankful today I'm not a woman. I am a man, and I can do things standing. And I don't have to get my rear end close to the hole in the ground with the flies and the stink. Little things like that make you appreciate the life you've been given. Amen. And that's why we do promote missions for everybody to get, not a first world mission trip, that's great, get to the bush and realize how American you really are. Amen. All right, let's keep reading here. The prayers of the saints. It appears that the prayers of the saints, and I, I was meditating on this, perhaps this is the prayer, your kingdom come, because that's what Jesus taught us to pray. Perhaps it's vengeance is yours, Lord, because what's about to happen is it's as if the Lord is answering all these prayers. He grabs a handful of these prayers, throws them on the altar, and it burns up, and the Lord answers the prayers. And what does the Lord give in response? Vengeance. Remember, even the New Testament says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. Well, this verse, this passage here tells us he's starting to pay. He is starting to pay back mankind for all of its rebellion and wickedness. Uh, hopefully, you've got enough prayers when the Lord throws them on the altar. He's, he can smell something enough to answer you. Now, again, I guess we're going to hit on this briefly. It's not about what you hope for. It's not about what you wish for. It's not about what you cry for. What do you pray Dr. Barclay points out it's an answer to prayer, not an answer to hopes, wants, or wishes, or belly aching or complaining or Facebook. It's an answer to prayer. And so we must, as Christians, make sure we pray on a regular basis. One of the best things you can pray, thanksgiving and change me. Lord, thank you for everything you do and change me. Amen. Uh, it appears that uh, the prayers of the saints are what are being answered with the wrath of God. And consequently, the sweet-smelling savor of these prayers bring about furious wrath and vengeance upon wicked mankind. To the Lord, our cry for vengeance is sweet. On the earth, it's misery. Notice that there, we saw in one of the passages there in Revelation, I guess it's seven, the, the heads of the martyrs, the souls of the martyrs under the, under the altar say, Lord, how long will you endure before you avenge us? The, the souls are crying. They're demanding God do something. They're getting a little bossy with God. And that's a sweet-smelling savor to God in the instance of martyrdom and vengeance. You know, you can't get sassy and bossy with God because you didn't get your cappuccino on time or because they, they ran out of the flat panel television you wanted or because, you know, there was, the red light was too long or, you know, any one of the American things we cry out for. 
<laughs> Lord, help us. Consequently, the sweet-smelling savor of these prayers brings about furious wrath and vengeance upon wicked mankind. I'm thankful that we're children of God and not wicked mankind. Revelation 8, 5, And the angel took the censer, that's the fire pan, that's something he would scoop the, uh, the coals in. It kind of looks a little bit like a Baptist offering plate. It's a fire pan. And it's something you would carry coals in. In the south, they used to have it look like almost a banjo brass banjo and you put the coals in it and you'd use it to warm your bed anybody know, ever seen one of those yeah i knew jeff had yeah i've seen those all in the annabella mansions of the south something similar to that so he takes this the, the coals and he fills it with the fire of the altar of sweet incense and he casts it to the earth so he takes coals off the throne the altar in heaven and throws it to the earth that's a supernatural thing because these are supernatural coals but they have a tremendous impact on the earth and there were voices and thunders and lightnings and an earthquake. Now, these coals have been flavored with the prayers of the saints. So the saints are getting what they want through the fire of God. And it isn't revival. There's lots of fires of God. We want the revival fire. Uh, the heathen get hellfire or destructive judgment fire. We shouldn't say hellfire because that's in hell. But I think it brings about the same almost pain on the earth. If the seventh seal... From Revelation 8, when was the calm before the storm? Because remember, it's 30 minutes of silence in heaven. Never has heaven ever been silent. And John could count how long. If that was the calm, this is the storm. The fire tossed to the earth begins this storm. It's almost like the thunder, the lightning, the temperature change. These judgments begin the last half of the tribulation or what's called the great tribulation. Jesus called it after this shall be great tribulation. Now, oddly, and I noticed this, this was a tremendous observation as I studied. Jesus did not speak of this half of the tribulation in much detail at all. Because in quoting Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, he declared he was appointed or anointed to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. But he stopped short of saying the day of vengeance of our God. He never, he never taught that. He taught the first part of Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to preach the gospel, to declare glad tidings, to preach uh, deliverance to those that are captive and bound to mend up the brokenhearted, to preach the acceptable year of our Lord. And then Isaiah 61, 2 goes on to say, and the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus never quoted that part because it wasn't his job yet because that didn't come to pass to this season. And so this begins the last three and a half years of the day of vengeance of our God. That is the great tribulation. Now notice, again, with Bible lingo, the day of vengeance is not just 24 hours. It's three and a half years. So there's, there's, you have to look at seasonal terms. The hour of his visitation lasted three years. He said Israel missed the hour of their visitation. It wasn't 60 minutes. It was three and a half years of ministry. So this is the day of vengeance of our God. He is pouring out his wrath upon pagan mankind who has had opportunity after opportunity. They've had the 144,000 witnesses preaching to them. They've seen a revival. They've seen the 144,000 go up in the rapture and the, the tribulation saints. And they still don't want God. But you, you and I have to make sure we don't have that same kind of stubbornness in our heart that we hear the word and we see deliverance and we see miracles in the lives of people and we still say, well, uh, just comfortable. Just comfortable. We cannot get comfortable. No matter what our prosperity affords us in the States, we cannot get comfortable in our walk with God. One of the greatest testimonies of King David's life was he had everything and he never had enough God. 
He, he cared. He was not impressed with his own wealth, his own talent, his own ability to make war, his own ability to make worship and make music. He was not impressed with any of that. He wanted more of God. And that's why he was called a man seeking God's heart, a man after God's own heart. You and I as Americans, we get very comfortable in our middle-class American homes and lifestyle, and it grieves God. To whom much is given, much certainly will be required. So we don't know where the top is. We keep seeking God until we die, and then we get rewarded and promoted. All right, let's keep going. The trumpets, we got to get into these trumpets. The first trumpet, there's seven of them, and they get worse. Everything the Lord does escalates. When you and I backslide, the discomfort in our life escalates until we finally repent or we die one. Anybody ever experienced that? You backslide and you know I should have done better. I should repent and the day goes by and we don't. And then the next service or the next prayer time or the next Bible study, he, he just cranks it up until we cry uncle or father, tap out, Lord, submit, forgive me, help me. Yeah, the first angel sounded and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood and they were cast upon the earth and the third part of trees were burnt up and all grass, green grass was burnt up. So uh, this doesn't really attack any individual person, but this is going to affect the whole world economy, livestock and livelihood. He is ramping things up. That's the mercy of God. Even in his vengeance, he's merciful. Even in vengeance, he's merciful. He could have wiped out everybody in the first day of the tribulation, but he's allowing things to ratchet up, to give people an opportunity to repent, to answer every doubting heart, and yet folks will still choose to go to hell. Folks will still show up on the day of Armageddon to fight Jesus Christ. That's how stupid mankind is. Desperately wicked. This first judgment of hell and fire is very reminiscent of Egypt's seventh plague. A third part of the world's greenery is burned up, no doubt affecting food supplies and revenue. Everybody has to eat. All the world's cultures, except for weirdo vegan Americans, eat meat. Western vegans are the only ones that don't eat meat. Everybody else, even the Hindus, eat meat. Just fish and chicken. Even the Muslims eat meat. Everybody eats meat. But how does meat come about? It's got to have grass to feed on. This affects food supply. There's no mention of human fatalities, but one can only imagine. We, I imagine starvation and drought and famine will increase with this. But again, from the time these start falling, we have three and a half years. So this happens very rapidly. Three and a half years is basically high school. That's all it is. It's basically a, a president's term. It's very quick. The second trumpet, Revelation 8, 8, 9. And the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea. And the third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. And the third part of the ships were destroyed. Now, uh, let's, let's break this down here. I, we'll just read this paragraph. Most believe the burning mountain will be a divine asteroid meteorite. I agree with that. I don't see any other interpretation for it. Some kind of divine asteroid, divine meteorite. I don't necessarily think it'll be just some random thing. All, the scientists always talk about another meteorite came really close to the earth. Or that it's not going to hit us because it's not our appointed time. Whatever this is, this was begun in heaven. Now maybe an angel grabs something out in space or maybe... I don't know what materializes, but I think we can all agree it's going to be, we would call it an asteroid or a meteor. Asteroids go past when they enter the atmosphere, they become a meteor, passes through, meteorite comes to the earth. So there's a little bit of difference in nomenclature. It's going to be something cosmic coming down. And it, the Bible's specific where it hits. It hits the sea. It doesn't say the oceans. There's bunches and bunches of seas. 
Atlantic, and there's oceans. This says the sea. So specifically in the Bible's language, the sea always refers to the Mediterranean because they're not talking about the Caspian Sea. They're not talking about the Black Sea. They're not talking about any other seas you might know of around the world. They're talking about the Mediterranean. That's, that's the Bible. That's, that's, Egypt has the Mediterranean. Israel has the Mediterranean. Syria has the Mediterranean. Rome has, that's, that is the whole Bible universe is right there around the Mediterranean. The sea is usually a reference to either the Mediterranean or the Red Sea. In this case, more than likely, it is the Mediterranean Sea because of its proximity to Israel, and that is where the Antichrist has set up his, uh, his government. It only seems probable that the third part of the sea affected is the area surrounding Ground Zero. So this is a big enough impact. It affects one-third of the Mediterranean Sea, thus killing all the sea life in the area and turning the sea red with its blood. You know, you, how, many, how much sea life, how much aquatic life is in the ocean, and you instantly kill a third of it with a meteorite strike. And you can see why just blood. One can only speculate on any possible tsunamis produced and the number of lives consequently killed on shore. We know that's a big an issue, tsunamis with earthquakes and meteorite strikes like this. So how much life is taken out all around the Mediterranean? If you ever look on the map of northern Africa, that's all Mediterranean. All your northern African countries are on the Mediterranean. All your European countries there, Rome, Spain, Portugal, they're all in the Mediterranean. Greece, all on the Mediterranean. Turkey, that, that, if that's big enough to affect one-third of the Mediterranean and all the ships in that area, what's it going to do when the, those waves hit the shore? Cataclysmic. That's the second trumpet. We don't know how close these follow. In the Bible, they're verse after verse after verse. It may be one right after another. It could be a couple days in between each one. We don't know for sure. Here comes the third trumpet. Revelation 8, 10, 11. The third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood. That means bitter. And many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. Now, there's two interpretations on this one. Either another meteorite, asteroid, or an angel. I personally believe it's an angel, a fallen angel. Some speculate this is another meteorite whose impact poisons the third part of the world's water system. But to me, that if a lot of this we can base in science. How does one meteorite affect a third part of the world? That doesn't make sense to me scientifically. And God doesn't break his own scientific laws. He made the laws. Another belief, and this is the one I hold to, is that this is an angel for several reasons. Number one, the fifth trumpet causes another star to fall. So this wouldn't be the first time a trumpet would cause an angel to fall from heaven and described as a hymn. So we know that stars can be individuals. And to that hymn, that star was given a key. Number two, this star has a name, Wormwood. So that sounds like a demon. You know, I am legion. Spirit of infirmity, spirit of uncleanness, spirit of wormwood, bitterness. So there's a second argument. Number three, it's a star falling from heaven. And we see that happen in Revelation 12. It's not uncommon to see angels referred to as stars, even fallen angels. Anything that once carried the glory of God or reflects the glory of God or currently does or did is often referred to as a star. Joseph's 12 brothers were referred to as stars. So this, wouldn't, this would be in line with other Bible interpretation that stars can be angels and they can fall. Number four, it poisons aquifers. Now that means underground, springs, wells, and, and a third of them. 
One meteor impact wouldn't do that if it was a real meteor. This is a supernatural thing. And number five, the poison water kills many. Number six, the fifth trumpet unleashes demons. And so we see in these, this round of judgment, trumpets are doing a lot of stuff with demons and angels and death. So the fact that you'd have two meteors back to back doesn't make any sense. It seems a more accurate interpretation. This is actually a demon being cast down from the heavenlies whose name is Wormwood. And he is able, when he crashes, to, to supernaturally poison a third of the world's water supply. A lot of your aquifers are hundreds of meters underground. You can't contaminate them just naturally. So you'd have to do it supernaturally. And that's something a demon can do. So it must be supernatural for it doesn't fall in one single place but upon a great myriad of locations. And it says that he fell upon, the star falls going back to our verse, it fell upon a third part of the rivers. How does one fall upon a third part of the rivers? And it fell upon the fountains of the waters. How does one fall upon multiple waters? So it has to be something supernatural. Yeah, it falls upon a great myriad of locations, a third of the rivers and springs. Let me also add this out there in studying all this. One of the other debates is when, when the Revelation is talking in these situations, is he referring to the Bible scope that surrounds the Mediterranean or is it worldwide? And it's not clear whether we're talking about the Bible world of influence. Influence would be the Bible mentions as far east as Spain. And the Bible mentions as far west as Babylon, or west and east. And then you go down into Egypt and you go north into Turkey. That's the entire Bible scope. It also happens to be the entire domain of the Roman Empire, which is what's been revitalized here. So the debate among theologians and eschatologists, is this referring to the whole world or the Bible world of its time? And there's still no clear answer. Some believe this affects the whole world. Some believe it affects the Bible realm. So hopefully you understand that. I don't know. I want, part of me wants to say it's the whole world. Part of me can see maybe it's just the Bible realm. But we'll just have to wait and see. I'm happy to see it from the grandstands of heaven and say, whoo, I'm glad I finished my race. The Lord gave me my race to run and I was not a wuss and I wasn't lame. I did everything I knew to do and I got here and now I get to watch the Bible play out from heaven because that's my lot that was given to me. And you know what? You've been given the same lot. So... Finish your lot. Amen. Amen. All right, let's keep reading here. The fourth trumpet. Oh, Lord, it just keeps getting worse for these folks. And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars, so, the, so as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. A lot of cosmic events here. I, I like how these angels have the authority over astrological bodies. That's God. He gives an angel the ability to strike a third of the sun and to strike a third of the moon. This judgment is a partial fulfillment of Joel's prophecy and I will, where he says, I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vaporous smoke. Joel's prophecy in Joel 2 there that's quoted by Peter in Acts 2 has absolutely nothing to do with the day of Pentecost. Joel's prophecy is a last day's judgment prophecy. But Peter quotes it, he says, just like... It was written by Joel, I will pour out of my spirit. He said, this is what you're seeing. He used Joel's prophecy to explain what they were encountering. But Acts 2 does not fulfill Joel 2. Because Joel 2 says, your young daughters will prophesy, your old men and see visions and dream dreams, etc. And blood, fire, vapor, smoke. That didn't happen on the day of Pentecost. But Joel's prophecy was partially fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. But the fullness of Joel's prophecy is for this day, the last days of tribulation where the gifts of the Spirit, prophecy, visions, that will come upon the Jews 
Because he said, upon your people, talking to Joel, that's the Jews, and they'll see blood, fire, vapor, smoke. Earth will be dark, the moon will turn to blood before the great and notable day of the Lord, which is Armageddon, the second coming, the advent. You with me? You follow all that? Yeah, we're just happy to get some Christians to church on a regular basis. This is like, you know, high school level stuff. <laughs> These four judgments have fallen upon thirds. If you hadn't noticed that, a third of the green, a third of the ocean, a third of the ships, a third of the sea life, a third, a third, a third. Revealing a divine pattern and not mere coincidence of calamity. That's another stripping of foundation among the heathen saying, well, this is just coincidence. You know how it is. The heathen will look for every reason why it can't be God. Furthermore, darkness is often used to signify God's judgment. As in, there's all these verses that talk about darkness and God's judgment. From the fifth on to the seventh, we mix things up. These are called the three great woes. And the angel declared, woe unto the earth. Woe, woe, for, for come three woes. So the fifth trumpet is also called the first woe. And you know, if the Lord says, woe unto you, then woe unto you. <laughs> if the Lord goes, woe, yeah, yeah, woe. <laughs> the fifth angel sounded and I saw a star fall from heaven. So that's why I think that second star is not a meteorite, but an angel. A star fall from heaven unto the earth and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit over which there was a horde of scorpion loathsome unleashed. And it was commanded that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, this scorpion horde of demons, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. Abaddon or Abaddon and Apollyon. And this means the destroyer. That term is used several times in the Old Testament. So the fifth trumpet releases an angel from heaven who has a key. It's not a demon. It's an angel because God doesn't trust demons with keys to pits. So this is an angel. He's not cast down, but he's sent down. He opens the pit and releases this, releases this demon horde. And I want you to know God purposely unleashes this on the earth. They're preserved just for this. An uncanny demon horde of unusual creatures. A lot of the erroneous teaching of the 80s wanted to make this like Apache attack helicopters. Really? That many? A couple million Apache attack helicopters because it has a tail? This, these are demons. Everybody in the modern studies of this, like, this is demons. This, you can't say this is a Cobra attack helicopter. This, you can't say this is military. This is a demon. It comes out of the pit. Do we have a bunch of Apache attack helicopters in the supernatural place called the pit? No. Can a demon unleash helicopters? No. It doesn't make any sense. I think some of that teaching came about because some of our brothers who taught that didn't really believe in demons very much. So it was just easier to declare war, but these are demons. Uh, and we'll see furthermore why. This trumpet is called the first woe based on the declaration of an angel in Revelation 8.13. This supernatural judgment unleashes a horde of bizarre-looking demons to torment but not kill mankind for five months. How do Apache attack helicopters torment but not kill? Well, they just do flyovers all night while you're trying to sleep? You, don't, you can't partially torment with Stinger missiles. You know, 50 caliber rounds or 7.625 rounds on those miniguns don't just kind of partially torment. They, they tend to rip you in half. They have javelin missiles and, and flash, uh, fletchettes. 
these missiles, that, that's a French word, which is French for arrow. They shoot these basically uh, depleted uranium arrows, super fast, 50 of them, just, just rip through stuff. And that's one of the Apache's really cool weapons. Yeah, I don't think there's a partial torment involved with an Apache. You don't make an Apache just to harass. You make an Apache helicopter to say, God bless the USA, and God curse you for messing with us. So it is just, it's just erroneous teaching of the 80s, but it's still out there. They are given, they are commanded by God and given permission to torment mankind for five months, but not kill them. They move like locusts, are prepared like battle horses, possess the face of men with hair like women. They have crowns like gold, teeth like a lion, and possess the tail and sting like a scorpion. None of that sounds like an Apache except for maybe a tail, and there's no stinger in the tail of an Apache helicopter. There's just a little blade that goes around and around and around. The worst scorpion, so they're, they're given to torment and harass, and the Bible says they have the sting of a scorpion in their tail. So I did some research on scorpions. Scorpions will not necessarily kill you. The most painful scorpion, the most deadly scorpion is the bark scorpion. It's found in Arizona. Don't you know America would have the worst scorpion on the planet? God bless the USA. The sting symptoms of the bark scorpion include severe pain and burning, muscle twitching, unusual head, eye, and neck movements. They talk about their eyes just going different directions because it affects the nervous system. Drooling, sweating, vomiting, High pressure, blood pressure, low blood pressure, accelerated heart rates, and restlessness. They talk about it's sheer misery. And if that's the sting, it, it, we're just assuming now, but if that's literally the sting of the scorpion in their tail, I got to think it's the worst one we know. And that you affect that, somebody like that for five months, that's miserable. You can't, your heart races, you're burning all the time. You're, they talk about, one of the medical things said they look demon possessed. They, the, the effects, especially on children, their eyes roll around and they can't, that's the poison, the toxin in the system. For five months, assuming it's the bark spike, uh, scorpion sting, it says that they'll seek death and death will flee from them. They'll want to die. I don't know if that means they try to jump off a building and the building sucks them back up or they try to commit suicide and the gun jams, but it says they will seek death, but death will elude them. That's how miserable they are. Men shall seek death, but not be able to find it. And the Bible calls this woe. If, if, if God says, whoa, then you know this is miserable. It's just totally miserable. This affects everybody on the earth who's not sealed with God in their forehead. Everybody. Children too. You'd think, you know, even the pagan, when he sees their child miserable, he'll cry out to God in desperation. Maybe some will turn. I don't know. The sixth trumpet, also called the second woe. You're learning anything this morning. Glad we're not going to be here. The second woe, again, if the Lord says woe, then woe. The sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, loose the four angels, these are demons, because you don't bind holy angels, you bind loose demons. Loose the four angels, which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour in a day, in a month, in a year, for to slay the third part of men. Now people get to die. But four demons are unleashed to do this. This trumpet commands an angel to loose four fallen angels that have been bound in the Euphrates River. Something about demons and water. They don't like water. I can't explain that. You baptize people in the third world bush, demons will come out of them. They, they don't like water. The, the pigs, 
they, they went and, dr- and drowned themselves. The gathering demoniac, they went into the, fa- the horde of pigs, and the pigs instantly went and drowned themselves, and the demons were released. And for whatever reason, they don't like water, but they come up out of water. It's almost like it's torment for them. I don't know. We, I don't have an explanation for it. These four fallen angels are authorized to kill a third of the human race that is still living. We don't really know how much is left by now. As the herd has been thinned rapidly through all the plagues and trials of wars of the tribulation. These four angels muster a demon army totaling 200 million supernatural troops. Now again, some teach that this is an army of soldiers, but there's no evidence for that. Everything so far has been a supernatural judgment. And these, 400, these four demons produce a 200 million man army, excuse me, demon army that goes and destroys a third of mankind. I don't think a 200 million human being army could do that unless that third of mankind was in one area. Unless they, I, I just don't see, it's not enough time. You can't deploy folks that much. If you, if you stop to realize how much calamity the world's been in, you just don't see this massive 200 million man army. I know that's a common teaching by some very respected people. I don't see it. Some other eschatologists don't see it. These are four demons coming out to muster an army. They go in all the four directions with 50 million apiece to supernaturally slay who's left. Angel of death. A lot of these modeled uh, Egypt's judgments. So we see it repeated. It has been speculated that each of the four angels will be over 50 million troops and will take them in each of the four cardinal directions. Human beings will be killed. This is why this is another uh, one of the arguments why this is not a human army. But this, the Bible says that this 200 million person army uh, has three plagues that follow with it. Fire, smoke, and brimstone. Now maybe they got flame. Maybe if it's a human army, maybe they're flamethrowers. Maybe it's chemical warfare. Maybe brimstone is airstrikes. But fire, smoke, and brimstone kills a third of man. This to me is supernatural. It's a pattern you see over and over and over again. Those who are not killed, the Bible says, still won't repent. That's a stubborn heart. And so what does the Lord do in his typical nature? He steps up the pressure. He steps up the, the resistance. He steps up the misery, just like he does in our life. Until we repent, the Lord just keeps ratcheting it up because he's going to win. And we, every one of us in here has been miserable because we were being stubborn and prideful and unrepentant. But the second our heart broke, he instantly reversed all of it faster than he ratcheted it up. And he's like, oh, thank you. Why didn't you just do that six months ago? Because I am a fool. <laughs> that is why, Lord. That's why we should pray every day, Lord, help me walk in humility, help me walk in meekness. All right, seventh trumpet, third woe. Woe, I've got four minutes to cover this, but we're going to take a little bit more time because this is important stuff. Third trumpet, seventh trumpet, third woe, Revelation 10, 7. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, so notice that trumpet lasts for days, it's a season of time, when he shall begin to sound, so there's a beginning, and obviously it makes, it infers that there's a length to it. The mystery of God should be finished as he has declared to his servants, the prophets. So the third trumpet finishes one of the mysteries of God. We'll have to answer what that is. Revelation 11 addresses the same angel and the same trumpet. The seventh angel sounded and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, which means it had been closed. The temple had been closed in heaven up until now. And there were seen in his temple the ark of his testament. There's an ark of the covenant or the ark of the testament in heaven. That's the one that Moses had saw. He'd seen that and he'd gotten his pattern for it. 
And there were lightnings and voices and thunders and an earthquake and great hail. So the seventh trumpet does something that causes the voice to say, now all the kingdoms of the world have become God. They belong to God and to his Christ. Now here's the question. The Lord Jesus already acquired all that on Calvary. He said, all authority has been given unto me. But something happens with this trumpet that finally causes the Lord to take possession of all those kingdoms. Supernatural kingdoms, because he still hasn't destroyed Babylon yet. So let's look at the interpretation of this. The seventh trumpet is the final woe. It signals the completion of the mystery of God. The blowing of this trumpet lasts for a season of time. So we have to ask what mystery of God is fulfilled here. The only event that seems to fit the parameters set forth is the casting out of Satan from the heavenlies. This seventh trumpet is clearly sounded at the halfway point of the tribulation. And there's verses there that confirm that. Now here's three reasons why this mystery that is fulfilled is Satan's expulsion from heaven. This is where my doctrine was ruffled quite a bit. The wonderful thing about studying the Bible is you don't know it all. And you'll always uncover another facet that will contradict what you thought you knew. And you can't just be ignorant and ignore it. You have to work it out in your doctrine and resolve the biblical tension that another verse has provided for you. And that's why we never stop studying the Bible. All right, here's, here's uh, three reasons. This harmonizes with the first pronouncements in heaven after the trumpet is sounded. So we're saying the mystery fulfilled is Satan being kicked out of heaven. Because a lot of folks believe he's already been kicked out of heaven. But the Bible tells us in Job and in Kings, he was freely coming and going to the throne of God. He appeared before God in heaven. And God said, who will go and be a, a, convince Joab to go up? And a lying spirit appeared and said, I'll do it. And the Lord said, he appeared before God in heaven, before the throne and for the angels. I'll do it. And the Lord said, go. You'll be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets and you'll prosper. So you have a lying spirit appearing before God in heaven. In the days of Jehoshaphat and Joab. You have Satan coming and presenting himself before the sons of God at the throne of God in Job. Where have you come from, Satan? The earth. Going to and fro. Have you considered my servant Job? Thanks, Lord. <laughs> Revelation eleven fifteen b says, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Notice that the kingdoms of the world have now at this point become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. The trumpet blows, the kingdoms become his. But he purchased them back on Calvary. Remember, that was the temptation Satan gave him. If you'll worship me, all this power and authority that's been given to me, I'll give it to you. There's a shortcut. Jesus said, no, uh, we're going to take the long route and get it legally. Revelation eleven seventeen says, because thou hast taken to thy great power and hast reigned, we get to see the Lord now reign supernaturally over the earth. He's not done that yet. The earth has been his footstool, but he's not reigned over the heavenlies yet because Satan is the prince of the power of the air. It's his dominion still. We see all that transferred at the seventh trumpet. At this time, God Almighty will take possession of what he purchased through Christ back at Calvary. All authority, as Jesus Christ said, all power and authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Until this point, Satan and his angels will still be ruling over the nations as the spiritual wickedness in high or heavenly places. That's still going on in the Ephesians epistle after Calvary. Satan is still the prince of the power over the air. They are still ruling over the nations. There's still demons over America. There's still demons over Russia. There's still demons over Africa. This is when all that stops. 
That seventh trumpet is blown and everything is cast down to the earth. Number two, this event is detailed in chapter 12. This is clearly the third woe is declared by the angel in 8.13. I know that's a lot of gibberish. If you go back and study it, we're just trying to explain everything. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knows that his time, he has but a short time, three and a half years now. He know, that's all he's got. And even the Lord says, woe. Remember, this is the second woe. Woe, or third woe. Woe, because now Satan's no longer over the heavenlies. He's cast down. He's now greatly limited. And he's got furious wrath, which means he's having mercy on nobody. And thirdly, the casting out of Satan has been declared numerous times by the prophets. Isaiah says, Thou shalt be brought down to hell. He will punish the host of the high ones. He will destroy the face of the covering cast over all people. These are all prophecies of this event in Revelation. He, with his sore and great and strong sword, shall punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent, even the, li- the Leviathan, the crooked serpent, and he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. And then Ezekiel says, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. That is what we're seeing in the seventh trumpet or the third woe. Satan is finally kicked out of heaven. I, I was taught and, and understood Satan was already cast down. But that doesn't line up with everything we're seeing here, which means I have to adjust my doctrine to compensate for misteaching. Just because you believed it long doesn't mean you believed it right. So you have to be willing to adjust your doctrine to accommodate scriptures. And at the very least say, I'm not really sure what. I used to believe this. Now I'm like, I got five new verses to work into the equation Give me a couple months, I might change my beliefs a little bit. I was a staunch believer that Satan was kicked out at Calvary or at, at his fall, that when it says he saw the angel, Satan fall and take a third of the angels, that didn't happen back in the day. That has yet to happen. I, yeah, I'm with you. Oh, yeah, I didn't see that up until a month ago. And I began a very deep research and, and talked to all my theologian friends. And I said, what do you believe? Like, no, no, he hasn't been cast down yet. The Bible says so. Well, how do you know that? Why have I been taught wrong for 25 years? But we see, even even Jesus is able to come to before Jesus. He's still the prince of the air. So at the seventh trumpet, he is cast down and his tail swipes and he brings the third of the stars that are over the heavenlies, which would be demons, and brings them down with him. Now, there's, there's more tea. I mean, there, that gets deep. We only have time to cover the seventh trumpet in one lesson. This opens up a month of studies by itself. Study it for yourself. There's a lot more to it. In the end, who cares? We have authority over him. You know, whether you want to debate, I don't know, because I know how it is when you believe something so long and all of a sudden somebody comes and preaches cross grain, you're like, I don't know, which is healthy because it means you're not just following, swallowing things hook, line, and sinker. But uh, yeah, this has ruffled my doctrine but that's all right. I want to be biblical, not selfish. So, he has yet to cast Satan down before kings, but that is going to happen. His fall to the earth will begin the great persecution of the Jews, requiring their flight into the wilderness. That's when they flee for three and a half years and God protects them. Satan himself begins that persecution. Thanks be to God, we won't be here in them days. Hallelujah. So, Seven trumpets covered very briefly. 
Again, we are only scratching the surface. One of my pastor friends here in town, he is still teaching the Revelation. He thought he was going to be finished at Christmas time. He is still, he's taught it for over a year now on Sunday nights, line upon line. So that means my good Baptist pastor friend, he's over 60 weeks into this. We're covering this in 12. We get 45 minutes. He, he's doing a Sunday night, hour, hour and a half. So we, we are just kind of skimming to give you a good working understanding. So hopefully when you do go study the Revelation, it doesn't intimidate you and you can begin to put things together for yourself and let the Lord fill in some gaps for you. And I believe you'll see stuff I can't see and you'll, you can show me and say, Pastor, did you ever see this? And I'll say, no, that's awesome. And we'll put that piece in there too. The wonderful thing is we're the church. We're not the persecuted body. And this is our age. This is our time to shine. So we just smile we pray, we preach, we cast out devils, and we enjoy life, and we wait for that trumpet to blow with one ear, and we listen to the cry of the lost with the other, and we do our thing. Amen. It's exciting. Father, thank you for these Sunday school lessons. Bless this awesome church. Bless the pod school that's produced, and may those that listen to this in the future be blessed and encouraged by it. Thank you, Lord, for the word. In Jesus' name, amen.